0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hello UX, a user-focused podcast aimed to help those building into UX design. We're here to empower designers and help those transition to UX field by providing education, resources, and a platform to talk about their experiences. And this is your host, Hasmin Campos. Hello, I am so glad to be back. I hope you miss me as much as I miss you. I've been busier than ever juggling multiple projects and always looking for relevant content for y'all. Before the season ends, we're going to be touching on the concept of mentorship and the two facets of being a mentor and being a mentee. We'll begin this episode where we chat with Miguel Robledo. Miguel Robledo is a senior product designer at Dell Technologies and a junk professor instructor at UT Austin's UX UI bootcamp and has been mentoring for several years. I met Miguel working as a TA for one of his cohorts teaching. Right from the get-go, I knew I wanted to interview Miguel for Hello UX as I noticed he is genuinely interested in his students' position after the boot camp and making sure he positions them in a place where they can go and start seeking for a job in UX. So without further ado, join us in this conversation with our guest, Miguel Robledo. All right. Well, welcome, Miguel, and thank you for joining us for the Hello UX podcast. Can't wait to begin our chat on mentorship, and I'm sure our hellodies will appreciate listening to your experiences as a mentor. So to begin, Miguel, can you walk us through your journey into UX design? Sure. And maybe this will help. The first week of class, you shared a story about how your mom likes to say that she contributed to your current career. Will you mind sharing this story?
1: Sure. So when I was a kid, I used to draw a lot. But, and when I first started drawing, I, uh, I would draw stuff you do as a kid, right? Stick mm-hmm. figures, the turkey with the hand, all that kind of stuff. And um, one time, my mom says I was like eight because it makes her look better. I think it was more like I was six <laughs> or seven. Uh, I drew her a duck and I gave it to her and she looked at it and she said, what the hell is this? You can draw better <laughs> than that. Go draw me a duck. And that was my first design review. So she always wow. says, if i had done that, I would right. never have better at design and I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I right. told she traumatized me, but that's a whole <laughs>
0: <laughs> And I, I think when you say this story, I, I, I think because the students are new and I think they it goes over their heads, but... I feel like I got it because, you know, in UX design, there's a lot of iteration, And so there's always uh, room for improvement. Yeah. Um, and then, so I'm not sure if you would like to walk us How did it come to be that you are now the senior product designer at Dell Technologies?
1: Yeah, so um, when I was, because I'm 47, right? So mm-hmm. when I was leaving high school, I didn't know what I wanted to study because uh, UX was not a thing, right? And I I couldn't have gone commercial art kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of wavered. I tried to do engineering. It wasn't my thing. And over time, I uh, must have been about 24. I decided to go to school for animation. And uh, I didn't finish that, but I learned enough to to work, right? And Mm -hmm. I had a, a teacher there who was probably our best teacher, but he was kind of mean, right? Mm -hmm. And and he always told us that uh, we needed to continuously be learning and that at some point we'd have to work for ourselves. And he he used the example of him going off to the Vietnam War and coming back. And he came from a family of designers. His parents were what were called commercial artists back in the day, which Mm -hmm. then became graphic designers, so forth and so on. And he said that when he came back from war, He had missed the gap of developmental skill sets and design. And he had to work really hard to catch up. But what that did was it created a a passion for him and designed animation, right?
0: Mm -hmm. And he said
1: his fellow friends and colleagues that did not go to war, that stayed and went to school, by the time he came back, a lot of them had burned out in the industry. And they were really Mm. good designers. So he always says, had he not been uh, introduced to design older in life he might not have been a designer right because he had to kind of learn and grow and that cemented in him that we're in a profession that you will always be learning you will never stop learning if you want to stay in this profession be successful you Mm -hmm. will always be learning because our profession and our industry changes so much right right if you don't keep up you're not going to be employable right so he understood that so uh when I left animation school because I followed a girl,
0: <laughs> of course,
1: to Ohio. She was crazy, so that lasted about a month or two, and then. <laughs> but I went back to San Antonio, and mm-hmm. there wasn't a market for animation in San Antonio, so I started to do graphic design, and uh, okay. and print work. Right, and my very first job in a design firm was an outside sales. I wasn't a designer. And I took that job to learn how to do business, how to write contracts, how to how to make cold calls. And when I was in that job for for a little over six months, I realized that I knew nothing about printing because you don't deal with printing and, and animation, right?
0: Right. And that was a
1: thing back in two thousand and three. Printing was still a thing, right? So I went and did outside sales for a print shop to learn what printing was like. And then from that, I started my own graphic design business that eventually turned into a web design business. That eventually died out in 2016. Right. And I went from graphic design and print to flash animation websites to learning how to teach myself to code through websites in the content management system called Drupal. And all through that, through that, I knew I was targeting Hispanic market, right? And mm-hmm. I understood that you target differently the Hispanic markets than you do uh, Anglo-Saxon markets. But then I also understood there's different demographics within the Hispanic market that you have to target as well, which is all user experience, right? Right. So at one point, I realized I need to finish my degree. And I had me for help with that. And I entered school at UTSA. And uh, I had messed up a lot before. So I had like a really low GPA and a bunch of hours. I had like 79 <laughs> hours and a 0. 0.8 GPA. So that's an insurmountable hill. Um, yeah. if you never have to take those hours again, right? So I, I don't have much compassion for people that say school's hard because no one had it harder than me, right? Mm-hmm. I had to work hard to overcome that GPA. And uh, kind of long story long is I wound up graduating with a degree in public relations. And without knowing it, public relations, that degree, aligns with user experience because public relations is heavily based on experiments and it's heavily based on research, so when you do a PR campaign, you run experiments, right? It used to be, just to make it simple, web, TV, radio, right? Now mm-hmm. it's social media. And you would run experiments that are time, we call them objectives, that are time-bound and measurable. And after you run the experiment and you did all your academic research and your generative research, right, quantitative and qualitative research, you wind up seeing, okay, I, had, I ran the experiment, I had good success in tv i had good success in radio i had good success in print i had good success online which had the most success right and Mm -hmm. you take money what we call the the spend from the one that had the least and put it in the one that had the most right then you could track that i didn't realize that's all user experience right yeah so as i was doing my business i got more to seo which has changed a lot uh and In 2016, right before the election, people were not spending money because, quite frankly, they were trying to see if a Democrat would take office or a Republican, because if a Democrat took office, they would get taxed too much, so they were going to spend. If a Republican took office, they were going to spend money. So my business tanked, and I didn't know what to do, because I had never had to be associate or junior, mid, senior, whatever. I didn't know where I fit in the gamut of design, hierarchy, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. So I applied to every job I could think of, and the first bite I got was in Austin for the Department of Labor as a senior designer, right? And, and I realized, mm-hmm. based on my experience, based on running teams, because I was running teams, right, for myself, mm-hmm. I had developers, designers, blah, blah, blah. I was, I was at a senior level, right? And mm-hmm. my entrepreneurial spirit, having my own business, helped me, has helped me a whole lot in my career now in enterprise software. Because I understand ecosystems, because I understand you have to have partners, and most designers don't understand that, they've never been Mm -hmm. taught that. and They don't know what they don't know, right? If you've never had to kind of face that, someone in the enterprise level has to help you understand that and teach you that. I already know it, right? So um, I tend to be successful when most designers don't. I also try to look for opportunities where most designers don't, because I understand that money buys everything where most Mm -hmm. designers don't. Most designers think that the design itself is valuable and it's not. Design is worthless unless it has some kind of return on investment. That's animation, that's fine art, that's graphic design, that's user experience. Unless the business can see return on investment, design is worthless, right? And I understand that. So um, that led me to doing really well at Dell, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and then I try to teach that to my students I don't know if they grasp that initially I think by the time they graduate the boot camp a lot of them understand that and, and, I, and I do that on purpose because that's something you learn at a senior level or a principal level mm-hmm. I think every designer should know that because it helps them be successful and if you can teach that to them at an intern, associate slash junior or mid level they become really good designers and their careers blossom because there are a the few people that understand that They can can communicate across the board. So hopefully answered the question that was the journey.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, I would like to point out that I really appreciate your approach. I feel like, you know, you're very adamant about problem solution metric when it comes to designers, you know, doing their portfolio with that unique perspective that you have coming from the business side. You know that those are the things that essentially any business, doesn't matter what it is that they're looking for. So I feel like, yeah, at the beginning, I don't feel like they really grasp how important that is. But I like that you keep pushing them towards that. And even when we're doing the portfolio reviews, they're like, OK, nope, you, you didn't do it. The frame that I asked for, go back and change it. And I think they don't see the benefit that they're going to have once they're out there in the market looking for a job.
1: Yeah. And I do that on purpose. Right. Because mm-hmm. the most I ever made when I was self-employed, which is had a good living. And it's pretty much the average income of, uh, of a household in the United States, which is like fifty five to 65,000. When I entered Enterprise America, I doubled my income. I've, over, I've tripled it by now, right? So it's one mm-hmm. of those things where I believe in our profession, not because it's cool to do and blah, 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 blah. I believe it gives people a way to break a barrier that's hard to break. Because once the, the threshold in the United States, that's two people working Paying a mortgage, having kids, the average household income in the United States is about sixty to sixty-five thousand dollars. That means two people are working, making thirty thousand each to have kids, have a mortgage, and pay bills, right? When you start to save money, pay debt down, and buy things, <laughs> is about seventy-five. So I know most of the students that enter the job market enter at about eighty, and for them, it's life-changing income, right? Like it was for me.
0: Yeah,
1: I know some of our students have families so it's life changing for their family not just for them right so mm-hmm. if i can help people along that journey and just be a small part because i understand i'm a small part of it they might argue i'm mm-hmm. a bigger part i think they have more to do with it than i do i just kind of show them the way and they kind of mm-hmm. think about themselves if i can be a part of that journey i'm all about that
0: so while you were navigating your career did you have a mentor that was able to guide you along and that that have an effect of why you became a mentor
1: yeah, so in the design world right now, I have mentors that are have more experience mm-hmm. and understand something better than me, right? I believe at any level, you should have a mentor, even if you're peers, right? Because people have different knowledge bases. So of course I have Joshua, Aries, to some extent, if I need to, my boss, Mark, Roy, right? I reach out to people and I ask for help, right? Because one of the things that designers, especially, I hate to say this, older ones, are very bad at is understanding that we don't know everything, that we mm-hmm. come with inherent biases and we need to see the bigger picture, right? And the only way you're going to have that is a multiple mentor. So, one of the things when I mentor people, I'm very big on is don't just have me as your mentor, find multiple ones. If I'm your only truth of source or your only source of truth, that's going to be problematic because I have my own lens, I have my own experiences, right? Um, I believe in hard work. I know I've had some advantages, but I also know I worked hard. So, in my mind, if you are not successful, it has to come down to a hard work and work ethic. But mm-hmm. I've had some advantages, right? Just the way I was raised, my family had money, so probably some doors were opened up by the nature of me knowing people. But I still had to earn my place, right? Some of the people don't right. have that. So, unless you have a mentor, multiple mentors with different perspectives, you don't get the full picture.
0: Okay, so I am going to speak for myself. Yeah. For me, it's hard to reach out to people. I want to blame it on my personality. I'm an introvert. And then I also feel like I have to know, have the knowledge base to even approach someone. And do you feel that is an individual way of thinking? Or do you feel that is a minority way of thinking of when you're approaching someone for mentorship?
1: I think there's a couple of things in there, right? Mm-hmm. There's the personality for sure. There's how you were raised. There's also there's an analogy my friend uses that applies here. And what he always says is you don't have to have clean hands to use the soap. In other words, most people approach, like you just said, the knowledge base, right? You don't have to have a knowledge base to ask for mentorship, right? Because if you have clean hands, why would you need soap, right? You're going because mm-hmm. you need soap. So the expectation is that you you need something, right? If you already have the knowledge base, you don't need a mentor, right? That's mm-hmm. one of those things where that's the thing too, right? I do think a lot of, uh, it's funny, right? Because the pandemic kind of kind of showed this, right? Generation Next is called a latchkey generation because mm-hmm. we're the first generation that it was acceptable for love to go to work, yeah. right? So you had, be, be, before Generation Next, you did have women work, but they worked as a result of everybody being in a war, right? It mm-hmm. was a... Husbands came back, if I'm not mistaken, the the, the wives went back to the house, right? Right. Uh, Generation X, we were the first ones where it was acceptable for the moms to go to work. So you had dual household income, right? Which means we had to learn how to be self-sufficient. We had to learn to go home, take the bus, walk home, cook our dinner, because the parents were at work, do our homework, stuff that now don't have to do, right? So that taught us how to be self-sufficient in some ways, right? Whether you were introverted, extroverted, that's just the reality of the world at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So what anything has COVID has taught is resilience, resiliency is a thing, right? No matter your personality, that's a thing. So one of the things that's hard for people to understand and that I try to teach my mentories, is regardless of how you feel, you follow through. Okay. Right? Because that was taught to me. I had a hard time to follow through, quite frankly, because of my personality. People like to help me. Right, mm-hmm. they want me to be successful, and that could hurt you too, right? Because mm-hmm. if things are too easy, you expect everything to be easy, and when they're not, it's hard to follow through and and, and really be successful. Right? like uh, I think one of the, one of the things I always like is one sort of the lines is Homer Simpson is talking to Bart Simpson, and this is his follow- his advice he gives Bart is boy, if at first you don't succeed. Give up and try something else. You obviously <laughs> weren't meant to do it, right? And that's not how the world works, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, obviously, if you try something a million times, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. But things are not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to work for them, right? And, and that's hard. So if you take that approach, it becomes, it takes away the extroverted, introverted. You're just following through, right? You're doing your due mm-hmm. diligence. It's an exercise of literally a follow through, Right. Yeah. i don't really want to reach out to miguel or to or to sandy or to jasmine or, or brett mm-hmm. but i just gotta do it i'll the time and i'll follow through I'm gonna hate doing it screw it, it it's what i gotta do if you approach it that way it removes the personality excuse for lack of a better word right yes but you also have to have a mentor helping to see that right if i didn't have a mentor helping to see that i would have never if i would have never graduated school because mm-hmm. all I saw was a goal that as I got older got further away mm-hmm. and it was unattainable. My mentor helped me with follow-through, right? And, and, and one of the first lessons he taught me was I went from uh, a private school to get in because I needed to. Uh, so I cheated the system, right? I went to junior college and I already had my agency. So I took mm-hmm. a lot of graphic design courses where I knew more than the professors and I got all A's and I became the TA by default, right? Because people saw that I knew more than the professors because they learned the curriculum to teach me four things in a semester where I was working with clients, right? And you can't tell right. the client to do these four things. <laughs> yeah. Stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the easiest point of entry was to go to a small private school where they opened up my transcripts and looked at everything and let me in, right? So I spent a year there, and then I went to UTSA, and they made it really hard to get in because they, they have too many students, right, applying, they didn't mm-hmm. open up my transcripts. All they saw was that I had a 2.1 GPA and I needed a 2.2. My mentor was a tenured professor and he could have gotten me in at the blink of an eye, but he wanted me to learn follow through, that things aren't easy. So I got rejected probably four or five times in one summer at UTSA. Finally, he said, look, open up his transcripts and see where he's at. He could have just let me in, but he didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. So I finally I talked to a counselor. He opened up my transcripts and like, oh, okay. Now we see you have a three-point whatever, this is cumulative, and they let me in on academic probation at UTSA. And as far as I know, I graduated on academic probation because I never mm-hmm. surmounted my, my 79 hours that were just all Fs, basically, right? That mm-hmm. also taught me is that I was the first person to go to college in the United States, so I didn't know that you have to drop classes, not just not go anymore when you, when you don't understand. So I still yeah. classes, right? If you don't go to mm-hmm. college, your family doesn't, you don't know that it's a student, right? I also didn't know that by paying tuition, I had free tutors. I didn't know any of that, right? So when I went back to, to school older, I knew those things. And I did drop one class and retake it because the professor was horrible. And I leveraged the tutoring they had there, right? Because yeah, yeah. I also realized it's one thing to study for high school and be an honor student. It's another thing to study in college, right? Like, yeah. For me, it was eye-opening to understand that by the time you go to, to uh, a class in college, the expectation is you read all the material, and the class is a review. You didn't go to the class to learn. You go to review and ask the professor questions, right? I didn't know that. And I was an honor student here in the United States, right? So those kind of things you don't know unless your family has the trajectory of being in school in the United States and there's an expectation, right? And I would argue students that come from more impoverished demographics, they don't know that, and they fail, right? Like, one of the things people say, and, and, I'm, and, this is why, and this is why I like to mentor your high school kids especially, right, if I can get in front of them. One of the things people say is education is the way out. Well, it is, and it isn't. Like, you could take a valedictorian from the west side of San Antonio whose parents both work, who just got a scholarship, who is the highest person in their high school, if they don't understand what I just told you about studying, about about tutoring, they will fail out of college and their parents cannot pay 800 bucks to go to SAC for a semester for two or three semesters for them to get their GPA back up, to get financial aid to go back to school because that's what they make in a week, right? Or a right. paycheck. So mm-hmm. that becomes a barrier no matter how smart you are. So there are disadvantages no matter how smart you are if you don't understand how the system works, right? Right. But if you find a mentor who understands that, it doesn't matter where you are at the poverty level, you can overcome that, right? It's just knowledge, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, so there, those are things that i talk to high school kids about. Once people are in the industry of professionals, I talk to them more about thinking about ecosystems, thinking about what they want to do career-wise, kind of level setting, saying, look, you have all these hopes and dreams. And you're brand new. You have to get your first job. This excuse my language, this bullshit about being picky when you don't have a job in the industry you're in, you take the first job you can get and you work really hard at that job and you make a name for yourself and that'll lead to a better job, right? Sometimes it leads really fast to a better job. Sometimes it leads to a less crappy job that then leads to a better job, right? Right. But there's no way of getting around paying your dues when you're brand new. And that's hard to tell people that I mentor because they're so used to seeing on social media, for example, that stuff's easy. And stuff isn't easy, yeah. If it was, everybody would be making six figures in UX, and they're not, right? Right. But the ones that work really hard, that are that understand that part of this falls on them to go learn and experiment, right? Those mm-hmm. are the ones that are successful. Which is why I'm big on that because that's how I made my name, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have no formal UX training. I have no formal uh, UX research training. It's all come from you from my from my uh, PR degree. I have no formal coding training like I didn't I didn't pay for a UX course and take it I mean I a coding course and take it I literally learned on the job and stuff right? right and making things work and breaking things which is why I can troubleshoot right mm-hmm. because I have that experience that's how you learn our profession And the best coders too by the way that's how they learn too right they're self-taught yeah. again I don't think that's a personality thing I think that's just some people learn it some people have it inherently I had to learn it. That's a follow-through thing, right? Regardless of whatever is happening, regardless of if it's a recession or not, regardless of if it's a Democratic office or Republican, regardless of if you live in a liberal state or a conservative state, if you follow through and have the work ethic, you're bound to be successful because you will seek out people to help, to teach you things, right? And that's an ongoing thing. that' a stop when you hit a certain level.
0: Yeah, I um, once heard a lady say that hard work will meet opportunity. And so, at one point, they're gonna meet, and you're gonna be there at the right place at the right time. If I know I want to mentor and I want to seek out and reach out to someone, what advice would you have someone to best prepare for this? Like, what mindset uh, should they come in with?
1: When you're looking for a mentor, you have to understand that people are doing it for free, right? Because they don't know you, mm-hmm. you're not that special. So you have to kind of understand those parameters. So one of the things I tell people that I either mentor or I have them paired up with people I know to mentor them mm-hmm. I said you want to at the gate go with a list of an agenda of what you want out of mentorship because that lets the mentor know how much time it's going to take it also lets them know you're not going to waste their time the time they do meet with you is going to be productive that only happens if you level set with this is what i want to kind of learn I have questions on and that way if they're busy it's one two they're out right if they mm-hmm. have more time they can talk to you more too right and that, that relationship developed over time Right. If you pair them really well, then obviously it'll be more organic. Right. But if not, at least they have an agenda and they know it's only 30 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. The other thing, too, is you have to network. Right. And by networking, now you have LinkedIn. So if you meet with people on LinkedIn, and one of the things I'm really infamous for is when I meet somebody who's a a junior or associate, junior associate or mid level designer and they want to connect on LinkedIn, I say, look, feel free to reach out to any of my contacts as somebody you... Because, you know, I might not be the best fit for you as a mentor, right? But somebody I know is. So Mm -hmm. reach out to me, and if you need an introduction, I'll do that, right? And most Mm -hmm. of my good friends will do that too, right? They'll set up an introduction for you as somebody else. So there's really no excuse nowadays not to find a mentor because it's so Mm -hmm. accessible, right? Uh, It's just a question of having a plan of action of what you want to learn. And mm-hmm. leveraging the network, right? The other thing too is when you network, I always tell my students, yeah, it's good to go to UX meetups to network. The problem with that is you're in the same boat with every other junior designer with right. one expert leading it, which is always a bad thing. But it's good to have connections because if somebody goes somewhere that might have a job that you can apply for, if you mm-hmm. really want to accelerate your networking and show results, go to not UX design events. Go to where the product managers, product owners, developers, because then you're the oddball out. And more than likely, they say, you know what? Our team's hiring a designer. Instead of we're all applying for the same job or competition, there right. you're the oddball out, right? Yeah. So it works better. You flip the tables, the, the odds in your favor, right?
0: Right. That reminds me when um, I finished my UX bootcamp. Well, they would encourage us, right? C- continue to go to the meetups, you know, and whatnot. But It became one of those sessions of like, oh, I still can't find a job. No, you neither. No, you know. And so then you just ended up feeling worse, you know, than when (laughs) you showed up. And so (laughs) I can totally see that. Yeah. That totally makes sense. So go out where the opportunities are. What is the best advice a mentor has given you?
1: One is always be learning, be humble, be open-minded, and always have a mentor.
0: All right, everyone. So now make sure you write those down uh, (laughs) for when. Yeah, exactly. As you continue on your journey to finding a mentor. Well, now take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. But stick around as we continue our conversation with Miguel. Welcome back. Let's continue our conversation with Miguel Roblero. So this season focused on inclusion and diversity, and you already touched up on some of those things. Why do you think representation is so important when it comes to mentorship?
1: So here's the thing, right? Just having diversity for diversity's sake hurts people. Because okay. it's possible to put somebody who's not, who can't do the job in a position Diversity sake, they put them in, and then they fail, right? hmm So part of critical diversity is actually finding people that can do the job, right? And I think a lot of times that's missed when people talk about critical diversity. Just saying yeah. you need a Hispanic male or a Hispanic female, that's not good enough. Because what happens is you put somebody that they fail, and then Ada looks bad on the demographic, right? In my case, Hispanic male. Well, then that's all of them, right?
0: Right. And
1: it hurts me in my career because I just failed, and I'm going to be able to get a good job, right? So the first thing is you have to vet and make sure whoever is diverse can actually do the job, right? Mm -hmm. But having said that, we do see the world from a different lens, right? No matter where we come from. One of the things where I work right now, I'm talking to the VP of design, and they want a flat organization. So for example, and and they're VP of design for a global company, right? We have design offices all over the world, not just the US. South America, Asia, Asia uh, Pacific region, uh, Europe, right? North America. Mm -hmm. So, in the U.S., if an associate designer, which is a junior designer, wants to meet with the VP, they have probably a senior designer above them that maybe even have a lead designer. That lead designer has, they all have managers. Those managers have directors, right? So, that's a chain of command, right? In the U.S., that associate designer can very freely look at the VP's look, mm-hmm. set up a meeting and nobody says anything. They're not reprimanded. They don't get angry at them. I mean, it's, it's encouraged. Okay. Everywhere else in the world, it's very classist. If a junior designer mm. does that, someone that can't command is going to probably get them fired because wow. they're too worried about looking good, about them being the ones that, that shine, about this junior designer saying, for example, Miguel can't do his job, he's my senior, right? Mm-hmm. So The VP didn't understand that and we we're talking about that they're asking about that. And I said, look, you have to understand you're you're assuming because you're in the States that your entire org operates that way. and that BP is at a disadvantage because the only way to fix that is to be in every term zone at all times, right? <laughs> That's going to mm-hmm. be impossible. But so right. that becomes the thing where you have to hire managers that you, you trust are doing that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's feasible, but it's hard. So unless you have a diverse group of people that understand those perspectives. It's hard to understand. Like right now, a buddy of mine is on a startup and he was asking for help. And they have an app they're going to use. And we did an assumptions exercise that they've never heard of before. I said, man, you're assuming that the the business users are going to have mobile phones. And the demographic and the business they're in, I would almost guarantee most of those people don't have phones. Mm -hmm. So out the gate, how are you going to solve that problem? Whatever app you go may be awesome. If no one can use it because they don't have phones, then, then what, right? Like
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: You don't, unless you have that perspective, you don't, you don't have to, once again, you don't know what you don't know. Right.
0: That
1: so is, that's remember how it was.
0: Yeah, no, no, you did. And actually you did bring in an interesting point because- diversity for the sake of diversity it's not gonna work again you go back into like working on your skills making sure that you reach out to the right people that can help you further develop you know those professional skills so that you can be at the point where you do apply for those jobs but that you know that you can do the work right all right Miguel well thank you so much for your input I have a fun question for you and okay so are you ready And it's kind of along the lines of what we've been talking on our private Slack channel with the TAs and instructor. Uh, But if aliens landed today on Earth and they offered you the opportunity with their technology to be mentored by anyone in the world's history, doesn't matter the time period, who would it
1: be and why? Aliens out on the Earth, the technology. I'd ask to be mentored by one of the aliens. Oh, I can read about the stuff <laughs> on the Earth. I want to know what they know.
0: I was not expecting that answer.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> true. I can look yeah. about, I can look up Picasso. I can look up Da Vinci. I can look up. uh who else? Right. The, the founding father. I mean, anybody. Like, there's, there's, there's research based on them, right? That's unlimited. right. These people are coming with stuff I don't even know exists.
0: Awesome. Okay, you got me there. I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Miguel. Thank you for sharing your expertise and your helpful advice. I'm sure all the HelloDies are going to be very grateful for all the input you've given.
1: Thank you, Jasmine. You're awesome.
0: Thank you. Seeking and pairing up with a mentor is part of the professional development steps that often gets overlooked. I hope that after listening to this episode, you will feel encouraged to seek a more seasoned mentor that can help you along your path in becoming a UX designer. We talked before about being intentional in our connections with others, and I would like to challenge you to look for opportunities where you can find a mentor. But where do I start or how do I know who to ask? These might be questions you may be asking yourself now, but not to worry. For our next episode, Hello UX will help you by featuring an organization that will be rolling out their mentor-mentee program in October. Perfect timing. And we will also chat with someone who played a major role in the creation of this program. And can I add that your girlfriend over here, moi, is very proud to have helped with the launching of this program. I am so excited to share about my experience in helping with this initiative, so make sure you tune in to our next episode. Well, this wraps up episode 5 how to best prepare for a mentorship and interview with Miguel Robledo I would also like to make a call-in for anyone that would like to join Hello UX this is a passion project meaning not paid but if you're someone willing to help others or you have ideas on how to improve our experience or if you have any marketing background or a contact writer have experience running social media send me an email to info at helloux.design and let me know how you would like to help Before we leave, I would like to invite you to like us, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast available on all major streaming platforms. And now a shout out to our sponsor, Overflow Digital. Shout out to our sponsor, Overflow Digital, a digital agency specializing in all your professional website needs. We aim to create dynamic websites that will positively impact your business, meeting you at the crossroads of data, design, Marcom, and UX. Before I leave, I would like to leave you with this quote by J. Lauren Norris. If you cannot see where you are going, ask someone who has been there before. Okay, hello this, Hasta la próxima.